everybody. Welcome back to the Be There and Survive podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. This week, we kind of have like a special edition coming out a little earlier than usual because I wanted to align with uh, my guest's podcast that I am also on coming out today, Friday. So if you want all the scoop on the Bama Rush documentary, you can get it. And I figured we'd kind of cover this from different angles because we have different show formats. Mine's longer. I ramble on and then do my interview. Hers is more pointed and about like the documentary quality itself and uh, her meaning Kate Casey. I didn't introduce her uh, from reality life. She's like an expert on reviewing and recapping documentaries and unscripted series and always gets like the heavy hitters and directors of these huge, huge programs um, and has a really great podcast. And when I was going on hers, I was like, well, will you come on mine as well? And we'll just try to cover as much ground as we can about this Bama Rush documentary. I will say it didn't turn out to be the documentary I thought it was going to be. I don't think for her either. So this looks a little different than I thought it would, but somehow I still have plenty to say regardless. I was so excited to see this documentary, and I know a lot of you guys are too, which is why I'm devoting an episode to it. Um, I think that, I mean, in general on this podcast, like, how could I not cover it? Because, you know, we've done deep dives to the tune of like four hours of content on this show. In 2021, we had a potential new bender that was a broader explainer of Rush and the initial, you know, literal rush I got watching content creators detail the process on TikTok in modern day. And last year's was called Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants Store. And that was actually, I've enjoyed that discussion because we examined Bama Rush Talk as a, a like a postmodern form of high camp where we're like watching an aug- augmented performance of femininity by a group that maybe doesn't even realize they're operating within an oppressive system that benevolently claims to like honor their identity, but it's quite literally designed to replace it. And as viewers, I think we consume it for like its absurdity as as much we do as its earnestness. Um, and there was just, yeah, it, that was a fun episode, too. So if you want more sorority content, there's a f- few more hours for you in the back catalog. So we won't go back to the very beginning. We'll focus on the documentary itself today. And I know this sounds clunky, but I don't know. Um, basically, what I did was I watched it. I recorded my thoughts. and. Um, then went to record with Kate for her show and mine. And then in, in editing, I tried to go back and take out stuff that I think we covered adequately. So it's not too redundant, but I wanted to provide more context leading up. And I also like desperately needed to record it the second I watched it because I was worried I would lose all of my thoughts. So anyway, uh, if you want to hear more of my thoughts leading up, you'll hear this intro that I recorded on Tuesday. But if you want to go to Reality Life and listen to Kate Casey's first, once her interview part comes up in the show, uh, we'll kind of pick up where we left off. And for those of you that are here for that, I will give you the timestamp. Go to like minute 40. But first I share here, again, this is an intentionally long form podcast where I'll do part and then I'd have a guest on for part. This is my like initial reaction, like immediately after watching. <sighs> wow, wow, wow. They just finished the Bama Rush documentary. You guys know I was so excited for it. I feel so confused. I don't know if I feel misled. And I'm so distracted by that that I'm not allowing myself to be nourished by it. I, where do I start? Okay. Before it sounds like I'm shitting on someone's important work that has value, I want to be clear that the issue to me isn't the documentary's objective quality. It's about what a departure it was from the rumors, the trailer, the press, the hype, 
uh, which sounds like we're not the creators of the documentary's fault. Those rumors had really no bearing on how they were going to approach it anyway. But the rumors kind of framed to us, the viewer, what we expected to see. But I don't really think the fault is on us, the viewer, for having expectations. Because while I understand how frustrating it must have been that their project was effed with based on baseless rumors, the project also leaned into those rumors to market itself. In fact, the the program even starts by framing the entire documentary inside the documentary as if that's what we're about to get into. I'll play you a small snippet for the fair use purposes of commentary. Okay, you guys, we have more tea coming through about is someone filming Rush this year? I've gotten a couple of reports. They haven't went up against this college yet, and I'm telling you, you don't want to go up against the University of Alabama. Not to be dramatic, but this HBO special could be the end of Greek life as we know it. Maybe I misunderstood the soundbite, and it was just like, this documentary is going to be Greek life. As we know it. So therefore, there will be no information because we already know it. I don't know. I I thought it was more seismic to the Bama Greek life system and to my life in general when we found out that, you know, Kylan made a rogue transfer from Yale to Bama (laughs) right before she was about to go because she wanted to be a part of Bama Rush, as I suspected on the pageant episode, likely to achieve her goal that she's had since 2010 according to her Instagram, to be Miss Teen USA, which did not materialize for her. It was more shocking when two years ago, do you remember Michaela? And she got cut from Rush for, you know, kind of a run-of-the-mill unsavory drunken video in a bathroom at a pizza joint. Who hasn't been there? I don't know. Okay, I I can approach high level, not what I expected. I think what stuck out to a lot of people is the um, director's insertion into the narrative that I'll explore here, I think, is maybe a product of chasing a story that did not materialize. And I think that that disrupted the documentary in a way that I'm not used to seeing where the director becomes the subject, you know, as a podcaster who makes myself the subject of everything and inserts myself everywhere. I'm not one to talk. But that certainly was a distracting piece. My initial reaction is there was a lot of content about the director and her struggles with alopecia and that is an important story on its own a very vulnerable one one i'm sure a lot of people empathize with and identify with and i understand what she was trying to do by explaining how we're all more similar than we think even though we may be approaching this process voyeuristically i just don't know if um it was the right move to tell this specific story but i think while i'm talking aloud i'm trying to figure out what was a function of my expectations versus what was actually here in terms of material because the way it started out like those clips i just played showing the scenery of the tiktoks and the associated hype i mean i honestly thought it started out quite strong but then you uh, you get through it and you're like somehow this documentary about recruitment talked about absolutely everything under the tuscaloosa sun besides recruitment so i think that i went into it expecting an expose but the twist was that it was never supposed to be an expose at all. So it, this isn't a story going inside the ritual and ridiculousness of recruitment. This is a story about young women seeking identity through organizational affiliation. And I really do think there is an interesting irony of following these young women who want to join sororities, uh, learning all about their identities while they simultaneously fear they lack identity. 
and are looking to find one with this third party social affiliation. It's a story about these women who do not have access to the main point of the documentary, the recruitment process, and it being shrouded in secrecy, I think, is what really interests people. But we're we're as on the outside as these girls going through it. So we're not like really necessarily learning anything about recruitment itself, but we are in a heartfelt, wholesome and important manner examining the the motivations and intentions of going through Rush. And, the you know, I think it's important to explore the humanity that lies within the women we reduce to maniacally cheering, you know, boom, boom, I want to go eat pie. Or those that try to con us into believing Chanel makes twin XL dorm sheets. I actually think there's a lot there. And that sort of nuance, I as a person quite enjoy. There's always a deeper story. There's always empathy to be found. And I get what the director is saying. In some way, we have all participated in a version of Rush, in a pursuit of sameness and social hierarchy and in, in hopes to belong. And yeah, like I said, I think what was expected and marketed was an expose. And what was delivered was a kind of unfocused primer of Greek life alongside the personal stories of subjects who did not yet have access to the thing the documentary was about. So therefore, we weren't really covering much ground. But okay, I say that. But part of my argument about it being unfocused is that I think there was too much ground to cover. But it's like a taste everything, digest nothing situation. Like, okay, like I said earlier, there are endless angles you could come from. The history of Greek life. Why Bama has an intensity that not all other schools have in its approach to Greek life. I mean, you could just do a documentary on how truly horrifying it is that sororities desegregated in 2013, uh, only 10 years ago. In 2013, I was up to plenty of problematic stuff, like like, dancing to blurred lines without overthinking the lyrics, maybe still believing in Coney 2012. But to think of sororities being segregated at that point is something I will never get over. And I already knew. Yet it's kind of glossed over. And if this is a primer for someone new to this, like that would have been interesting to go into a little deeper. Or like we get in, you know, we touch on the power and the authority of this elusive secret society, the machine that uh, allegedly has major influence, not only on campus, but at a state and political level. But we don't get the opportunity to go deeper. We talk about a huge problem for young women on college campuses, sexual assault. And one subject reveals she's been roofied three times. What do we do? Pivot to to Shelby's Shelby's pageant walk in rural Illinois. Like, what are we doing? We're missing. So it's like. It covers a lot, but it feels like we're missing the chance to dig into things that matter. And but I will say part of me understand as a person that struggles to focus, you know, shocking. um, I, I, I deeply understand and experience often the my level of inexpertise um, in like producing and storytelling when I try to take on bigger topics on this show, because it really is hard to focus without excluding because the feedback you get is people are going to focus on the things you didn't talk about as if you not including them would imply they don't matter. But sometimes in effort to focus and not cover too much ground, you can't really touch on everything that's significant about something. So I struggle to storytell. And part of me wonders if like there's a piece of that here when we're dealing with something like sororities that, you know, sits at the intersection on of countless cultural forces of gender, of class, of racism, of beauty and, and body standards, and how that impacts an individual's experience in moving through or planning to participate in Greek life. There's a lot there and it's all important and it's heavily nuanced. We just didn't get into anything enough for it to be 
really pointed, educational, or revealing. But also, I don't even need those things. Sometimes I just want to have fun. I'd watch a documentary breaking down the decision-making that goes into the dorm decor of these women and have a great time. But I will say at the beginning, they showed a lot of the fun stuff, the TikTok side, the viral content. I'm dying to know if they had permission for that. Like, can people take my videos and like podcast snippets out of context? Do they have to ask me? I, I, I don't know. Maybe it falls into fair use, which I exercise all the time. But that part was fun because like, I don't. people say, you know, that wasn't on my bingo card as if they have one. But like, I quite honestly did go into this documentary with a bingo card. And I was pretty satisfied with some of the high points we hit uh, at the beginning. You know, we had door stacks with exorcism level level hair flips we have a mention of the pants store much to my delight a mention of an herbal life nutrition shop we have unhelpful sourcing of accessories by sharing the retailer and not the manufacturer in an ootd video like i get it it's from amazon but like what that's i can't get into it or like christmas present or gift from my meemaw like okay but what why tell us We, we can't source the material um we have the use of the term forever home, way too many roll tides. Um, a lot of elevated athleisure while running in groups. I don't know where they're running to. I don't know if they're running in circles. It's just like a like a game of duck duck golden goose where they're wearing overpriced sneakers and kind of going nowhere, but vaguely tapping and interacting with each other in a way that's hard to tell if it's organized or haphazard. Um I love seeing a Jesus Loves You marquee letterboard juxtaposed with chakra crystals. Like, what an east-west spiritual queen from Rancho Cucamonga. I think the doc could have gone more into uh, a lot of what we see in those videos that maybe wouldn't have been hard to get access to. Like, the whole point of Spirit Week and the dance performances, the choreography, how in modern day, a big part of selling your sorority is content creation which I think is just a really interesting facet, like the showmanship of the chapters hard selling the PNMs with the theme parties and the door stacks on stacks that to your average viewer unfamiliar with this culture, like would at least be somewhat entertaining and comedic to explore. But I actually argue we don't even need a retelling of that because we lived it. Um, I was just looking on Facebook and uh, Corey Wallace, who was on the podcast with me in the fall where we talked about, it was the second Miss USA episode I did. We talked about the Miss USA um scandal she has worked in the the pageant system at like the corporate level if that's the right term had a lot of really interesting insight and it's one of my favorite interviews because i think she captured the humanity and complexity of pageantry in a really insightful way and it's just a conversation i really enjoyed and i appreciate what she said about this documentary um having experience in the greek system as well in a professional capacity She said, this is what happens when a documentarian sees juicy scoop and cannot tell a focused, intimate portrait of a community. Without access, without nuance, and without intimacy, documentarian just vibes off of drone shots and initial interviews. It's also clear that the problem of people in the beginning of a process or conversely already bought in are unreliable narrators. The best part of this was the visuals that attempt to explain the process for non-members. It's at once glamorizing and superficial and intimate and initially vulnerable. But like recruitment, the phenomenon of proximity to joining locks people down. I, I'd give it a six. And then she added, the conference, is going to have a, the conference is going to have a difficult discussion with National Panhellenic Council member groups who have demanded secrecy and keeping members behind closed doors. This generation will not be tamed and wants their own narrative. Frankly, I think it's much better than infantilizing our members. I agree. Um, 
I it's kind of remarkable that like I would almost think more people would go rogue and want to be influencers or be part of the documentary and be like, screw this. I could, you know, via social media, I can create my own fame, my own platform, my own destiny and not be so reliant on your institutionalized validation. But it, I think it goes to show what a chokehold the Greek system has over people and what it provides them in regard to social capital that so many people are willing to just go with it when they say you can't participate, you can't comment, you can't be a part of this. All of these things that you theoretically should be free to do, by the way, will get you expelled from the process. I mean, when you really think about how the process is just so designed to keep people silent, it's a little spooky and just goes to show that what's going on behind closed doors isn't something that they want out into the world where they would value transparency. You almost have to get conned and and uh, initiated into a social system you become reliant on. So if you step out, you lose everything. So the stakes are high. So you keep their secrets. Part of me is like if anybody that went into making this documentary knew anything about Greek life, they would know that inside information by design is a privilege of the obedient <laughs> and a product of a process where one has to prove themselves worthy of that knowledge of what goes in on the inside. I'll get to that in a minute. Like anyway, Corey said so many things that hit the nail on the head, reaccess, nuance, unreliable narrators. And I think the narrators are a huge piece of this because what I realized watching it is that to live through the process is actually best done in a on a platform like TikTok. We people are getting to tell their own story, give their own point of view in real time. We can watch them go through night to night, explain what they're doing, show us their outfits. And there's like a level of suspense and excitement and engagement to going through it with the members who are, as, like I said, on the outside of the process as we are as consumers of their content because they're not in it yet. Um, I actually think we got what we need. I, I think we can get what we need from Bama Rush Talk itself about the girls going through the process. But the story is on the other side. I'm kind of even surprised that I fell for the idea that people might be miked and going in on the inside, because who's just as equally uh, unreliable of a narrator are active members who are deeply embedded in this system and have a lot at stake. If you want to know the inside scoop of Rush and the stuff that goes on behind closed doors and the darker side of Greek life, you've, you, you interview those who have experienced their own Greek death. You, you interview people who have been dropped unfairly, who got kicked out, who went in with those intentions you set up nicely to belong, to have a sense of identity, to have support, and, you know, all those things we explored. But I think it would be interesting to examine where that breaks down and why there's a level of, you know, falsehood and artifice to this whole thing. And, like, that's the bigger issue. You know, you interview people taken to standards who've uh, been unfairly treated by counsel, who've experienced the racism. But also, it's not just people might argue that the people have been ousted by the system. They'd only tell one side of the story. But like, I actually think there'd be countless people who've taken a step back from college who were did feel they were treated fairly, who actively participated and were complicit in the system. And talk about how weird it is that when you get out of it, you don't realize how reliant you were on this specific code of conduct and reference group and judicial system that 
they like convince you will have meaningful bearing on your life that it simply doesn't. But you act in a way that doesn't really, you know, contribute to your best interest or anybody else's. It's all for one goal and one goal alone, maintaining and upholding the image of the sorority. And when you're in it, it's kind of benevolently sold to you as like sisterhood, being classy, you know, the success of our members, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, it's all about image. The friendships, the relationships, the community, like there's a lot of good and a lot of things that I got out of it that I would never take back. But I think it's interesting to explore the nuance of how that sort of inclusivity and sense of belonging exists within a fundamentally exclusive system that's designed to encourage as much sameness as possible and lauded as organizational distinction. If anything, the focus should have been on talking to former members of sororities that have no skin in the game and are willing to spill the tea because it's not like they signed an NDA. I don't really remember what happened in that candlelit dark room when I wore a white dress and like was sworn in. Um, But I think it's safe to say that 15 years later, while some people may have kept it like an oath, I kept it like a secret and now don't really see how those secrets benefit anybody as much. But, I, you know, I I respect for the things that I don't think are harmful, you know, love the sisterhood. But uh, I'm like, why didn't they talk to more people that were in sororities that are would be more than happy to share the ins and outs of recruitment. The part that we needed a documentary for is the part we don't have access to once again, but it became clear as the doc went on that HBO did not have access either. I'm kind of actually surprised I didn't think this through earlier because the problem is the story people want would never be best told through a PNM going through recruitment, even if they were miked, even if the PNMs, potential new members, were secretly miked. What you would hear would be incredibly pleasant conversations and sisterhood sales pitches. The insidious part about this process is what goes unsaid. The evil genius of the process is that it looks and sounds outwardly pleasant. The mindfuck is that the PNMs don't know all this is going on. Why someone makes it or doesn't. Based on the things sororities would never admit they care about but are often factored into their decision making. But what's crazy is that even on the inside, when you're rating and ranking girls, you're encouraged to sugarcoat how you provide feedback. Even doing it at the time, it didn't seem mean because it didn't sound mean. Speaking of TikToks, they get all my beauty advice from the youths of America. There was a brand I saw people using the past year or so that I looked into. Once I started using their products, I was like, oh, this is a really good idea. Are you guys familiar with Kosas? They're a new podcast advertiser that I'm pretty excited about. Because they are a makeup brand for like skincare freaks. And their complexion products are actually proven to make your skin better. Our dermatologist tested, safe for sensitive and acne prone skin and hypoallergenic. I particularly got invested in this in recent months when my skin is suddenly reacting to everything ever. And I noticed that this concealer was performing considerably better and not making my sensitive skin overreact. And it turns out their Kosas concealer is like an eye cream spot treatment and concealer all in one product. It's called the Revealer Concealer and it's super creamy, weightless and is like a complete multitasker and is packed with skincare ingredients to offer creaseless medium coverage with a smooth radiant finish that looks like your skin basically, but just brighter and more even and healthier. And I think I was used to wearing a very kind of heavy, chalky, full coverage concealer for a long time now, 2016, when I was wearing a full lash on a Tuesday. 
but I'd been wearing concealer. I was used to seeing concealers that had this level of kind of chalky, heavy coverage that completely flattened out my face and made my skin not look like skin. And over time, using the Kosas Revealer Concealer, I realized it was my favorite product because it still looked like my skin. It was just brighter, more even, and hopefully, given the ingredients, healthier and not making me and my pregnant skin react. You can use their five-step shade finder quiz to find your perfect match. And millions of people have tried Kosas, making it one of the best-selling makeup collections at Sephora. And their popular award-winning Revealer Concealer has over a thousand five-star reviews. So don't choose between wearing great makeup and taking care of your skin. Right now, Kosas is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase of $50 or more when you go to kosas.com slash be there in five. Go to kosas.com slash be there in five for 15% off your first purchase of $50 or more plus free shipping. Even doing it at the time, it didn't seem mean because it didn't sound mean. It was like surface level feedback on a, of a person based on a two minute interaction wedged in a compliment sandwich of how she was like nice and cute, not a fit for this chapter, but you were glad you got to meet her. And like that was code enough to be like dropped. What I remember is kind of like it was fair game to use your private judgments. You just had to code them and communicate them as something that could like go on the books that falls into a category of criteria approved by your chapter approved by nationals of what is an acceptable reason to reject someone. And most chapters like would never have any clear or written down or uh, nationals approved language that actively promoted discriminating against people or anything, you know, problematic about their appearance. Like those are all of the spins I think that are verbalized within and chosen within chapters, school to school that go unsaid and would be like very, very hard to uncover, especially if you were interacting with members that were like still loyal and active. So to be fair to the director, like I I think our expectations were like, oh, inside scoop, people getting mic'd. That's what we heard. But when I sat down and thought through it, I was like, that wouldn't have worked. We would have just heard a bunch of small talk. And I actually don't think that what the PNM experiences on the inside before they're pledging, before they're initiated, would be anything remotely interesting enough for the documentary. It would be a bunch of like drinks without garnishes. And maybe the tea would be a house does a garnish and they get fined. I mean, like that's the kind of drama we're talking about. Um, the drama isn't how the girls are probably like spoken about and scored and ranked and all the crazy shit you have to do on the inside, like get a spray tan and, uh, get your dress checked, wear Spanx. Like there's all the, all sorts of weird rules on the inside that are really hard on the sisters, but none of them, like you weren't going to find that out from like my king, the potential new members. So the more I thought about it, I was like, what's interesting here is that you go through the process and it's all designed to be very pleasant. Even when you're on the inside, I remember thinking, oh, we're not doing anything wrong. We just don't think she's a fit for the chapter. But like, what does that mean? And that was left up to the individual. and. I wasn't in the, you know, crunching the numbers and doing the spreadsheets and the people behind closed doors that are really sifting through the rankings and criteria. We didn't have visibility into like the full list by any stretch. We would just give our feedback on the people we met with like a scoring system. And honestly, I just I remember it mostly being like vibes based and just kind of a game of like. Who is skilled at socializing, honestly, because it wasn't about who you are at your core and finding your right home. 
It was about how well you could perform for two minutes at a time in front of a sister and how well you could play the game of aligning with the values you think that house wants to make them want you. And I think some people are more skilled at adapting in those types of situations and can kind of sell themselves better than others. And it's not fair and it's not about who you are. Um, So, yeah, I guess I want to clarify. When you hear, you know, when it's sold is like this has the potential to take down Greek life as we know it. In my head, we were like going to expose something, but I realistically do not know how they would have ever exposed anything in a process that is so locked down and not in an amateur fashion either. I mean, remember these with the dues, the like treasures of sororities are managing like millions of dollars. Like these national organizations watch these chapters like a hawk. Uh, But anyway, all that to say, what I'm wondering is, when it became clear that it was going to be too hard to recruit sub. So like, I don't think they were ever going to get in on the inside um, and expose recruitment. Again, I guess point being, if you want to expose, you're going to have to interview past members that don't have skin in the game. And if you want to inform about Bama Rush itself, about the, you know, the virality of the OOTD videos and about the kind of contagious nature of watching these girls live from Tutwiler. Like that would have just been like a fun, interesting documentary or you wouldn't even have to provide outside commentary. You could let the viewer decide for themselves what they were seeing. And what we would see is just like this incredibly intense process where people are really overthinking what they wear, how they do their hair, watching them make content while trying to perform to the world, while they're just trying to be accepted in this small circle. The drama between friends is like one gets dropped from their dream sorority and their best friend or roommate you know, doesn't and keeps going through of them trying to like figure out and do the mental gymnastics of why some people got to some rounds and not others, like follow people who got dropped, follow people who find social media stardom. Like that would have been interesting. But the problem is, I think they got into it and realized, oh, people have nothing to gain by doing this documentary. I think it became clear that like that the, the story is that this means so much to people the Greek system there has a chokehold on people. Allegedly, there's this secret organization operating within it that affects people's life trajectories in a real way that is so powerful and unspoken that people even weren't willing to even be associated with this documentary. And I think that in and of itself showcases the power of the system. And the there is a deeper, interesting story with the system. I just don't know how you access that system with narrators that are like just as clueless as we are. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm like torn between no, f- trying to figure out if that would have landed or not. If we just got, we followed girls in more detail from what we see on Bama Rush Talk, because I actually don't think that would have trivialized the process at all. I, like I said earlier, I think the reason we even like watching it on TikTok is because it's it's a spectacle, but there's also an earnestness to it. There's a humanity to it. There's a level of empathy to it. And what makes a documentary interesting is kind of like the intimacy and insularity of of a particular community that cares about this one thing so much. And I think it would be interesting to get in on like the group think of people going through it. But it became clear as the documentary went on, we were like, weren't really getting to any point. I mean, I thought the I liked learning about Holiday and Isabel and Michaela. And like that that those were those were, you know, somewhat substantive like human interest stories that touched on different issues with body image with race 
with perfectionism, you know, among uh, uh, like with anxiety, with mental health. Like, again, we touched on a lot and it wasn't bad if it was about kind of that deeper humanity and the interior of what goes on and why people want to belong. I think it could have been like maybe captured in a way of that of people like actually freaking going through recruitment. Because again, this is a recruitment documentary that doesn't have any recruitment in it. But I, it's t- I, I understand that they maybe did not anticipate how hard it would be to get subjects. And they were, once the rumors spread, they were completely shut out of the process and people were actively discouraged from participating, um, which does suck. And that's why I assume we had to go the route of talking about the director more. I think it's weird that they're basically saying it's not our fault those rumors started, it nearly destroyed it, yet they use those rumors to like fuel the marketing of the documentary, so I don't really know. Um, So it sounds like they never intended to mic people, they never intended to get like any insider scoop, That and that this was always meant to be like a wholesome, compassionate story about people going through the process. I'm about to record with Kate, but um, I was just asking you on the internet, like about that sticker situation. So Holiday got kicked out for wearing another sorority sticker. And at first I wasn't totally sure what that meant because we didn't have that at my school. But some of you DM me and, you know, God bless things I bought and liked, Tybal sharing with me that this is a thing she watched and didn't really like, but also giving me contacts about the stickers. Apparently... They like before you get initiated, you know how you can't, at least in my school, we couldn't wear letters. So we got initiated. But I guess at like football games and stuff, you can wear stickers being like KKG loves Bama roll type, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you're not supposed to like re- be representing another sorority. You're only supposed to wear your letters. Like that's a pretty common rule. In the context of the sticker, it seemed like such an innocuous thing to get a person kicked out. And I was like, why didn't we dig deeper there? Um, and what was explained to me is that it could be a couple of things. A bunch of you wrote in and <laughs> share what you thought. A common consensus was that there was likely a reason standards or judicial or whoever didn't want her in the chapter and they selectively enforced a rule they wouldn't enforce with other people to give her the boot. Uh, and that's just not something they would implicitly say. So. She was confused because she broke a rule that other people broke, but she was penalized for it. But like that, but like, again, why didn't we dig into that? That's why these arbitrary rules are so interesting. Um, I mean, the the worst case would be somebody like put it on her and planted it to get her in trouble, which would be like so shitty. But then Holly also mentioned like, well, other people slept over at frat houses. And I'm like, well, so was that part of it, too? But she again, we didn't ask any further questions, so we don't know. Um, And Tybal pointed out to me something I had forgotten, which is. If you're dropped during your pledge period and you're not initiated, you can rush again. So she was able to rush again because she got dropped from the sorority during the pledge period, but then found out she was blacklisted. So that part of me is leaning toward, well, there's probably more to the story, but again, why wouldn't the director like dig in a bit more? Another thing brought up was by several of you was you finding it interesting to think about the reputation of the chapters campus to campus. And how the documentary kind of glossed over that a sorority's reputation is predominantly a function of the the male gaze. It almost made it seem like there was a concrete like ranking provided by fraternity brothers that everyone abides by. 
of what is or is not like a top house. And I just think it's a lot more layered than that. And there are a lot, there are a lot more variables. But what we're talking about is something elusive and ambiguous, like the concept of reputation, right? That has so many variables involved. There are endless like professions involved with even just the curation, maintenance, and uh uh manufacturing of an image because it's it's an art and a science. And I think about this a lot with popularity in terms of thinking about what a what a desirable trait that was like in high school and how prevalent it was in the pop culture I consumed with like the popular girls. And again, this is something I write about in my book at length. And I only say that because I, if you read it, I don't want you to be like, she's already said this. I know. I think popularity, like when you really think about it, there, are, there's an like beauty and body and societal standards are part of it. But like you can be popular because of your proximity to a status symbol, whether it's how you dress and the brands you wear, whether it's your wealth, whether it's, you know, at risk behavior, like people were popular who like, had sex and did drugs earlier than other people. And that was like interesting and held a status. People were popular or like super wealthy and had the nicest stuff and drove the nicest cars. People were also popular who were the most friendly, most involved and most well-liked. There's a type of popularity that has to do with like actual relationship building. And there's a type of popularity that has to do with uh, perception building. And when I think about like what makes for a top sorority or whatever, I don't think it's as simple as guys think these girls are hot and these ones are not. I just think how sororities develop their reputation on campus. It's more complicated than that. And I, and I say that as a person who like was in a sorority that was not like the hot girls, party girls, but like more of the involved girls. What I actually liked about mine was that I, I think it was more so rooted in values that like the women themselves wanted to exude in the commonalities they had. And it actually, I didn't join my sorority because we were like necessarily the, the party girl mega hottie first pick for, you know, homecoming. Um, but because like I actually really liked the type of people that seemed to be a part of it and still do. And it honestly held up for me, which is crazy that I did find myself in the right place on that campus for me, even though I didn't already know people in it. Um, so I think that kind of reduces it a bit. Like it gives the fraternities, I think, a little too much power. Like I want to acknowledge the role of the male gaze, but I don't think that that's everything because in life, what gives something a certain reputation is just going to depend on a lot of factors. At Bama specifically, old row and new row, as I understand it, is more so rooted in like legacy and wealth and specifically the machine. Again, we could have dug into the machine more. I didn't realize that sororities require you to send a, send a screenshot of your voting record. That's fucked up. Um, and I mean, it's kind of a thing where the machine is specific to Alabama, but I don't think that's specific. I think that type of thing probably exists everywhere in a lot of different contexts where it's like just something designed to systematically maintain an advantage for like a specific group of people. Um, but I'm surprised like nobody's done a documentary about the machine, have they? I mean, it seems pretty documentary worthy. I also thought that a few things I didn't know. I thought that, I thought the rules of no wet hair was kind of funny and that you can't leave the dorm without two out of three done your hair, your makeup or your outfit. Um, and I thought the bit where she was like, you know, no boys, no booze, no Bible, no bu- bucks, no Biden. You know, talk about law school, poli sci, Black Lives Matter, L Woods. 
but don't ask about inflation. And I was just like, what? who are these consultants? <laughs> how much money are they pulling in? And uh, how ironic is it that we are coaching people uh, about how to find the right place for themselves while actively discouraging them to be themselves? Okay, I'm going to go record. We'll have Kate on the flip side. At that point, I'll have been talking about this for two hours, so maybe we'll just like have fun with it. But I feel like I covered most ground of what I felt like saying. So, yeah, if you want to head to Kate Casey's podcast, Reality Life, check it out. And then this will pick up where that leaves off. Do you love aviators but hate how they always get tangled in your hair? My sister and I talked at length about this this past weekend. How it's a problem that's plagued us in life that we didn't even know we needed a solution for. When I put regular aviators with the nose piece on my head, as I do any time I would ever go indoors when wearing them, it gets tangled. It ruins my hair. And it just like is not the vibe I'm going for. And Shady Rays is so creative because they have these really cute tangle-free aviators. And you can get the classic aviator look without the messy hair because of their custom patent pending nose piece that they designed specifically to avoid tangling. Imagine that. I, I can really tell the difference between the tangle-free aviator and classic ones because I don't wear my old ones anymore. And I just like being able to put them on my head with no problem. I don't need to over-explain this dilemma. I just can't say enough that I it was a solution I didn't know I needed. I love the shine on the frame. They're, they have a really good blackout, so you can't see the eyes through it, which I like. But they also have really bright and kind of like neon lenses. And they're in stock right now, which isn't always in stock. The Kelly Mesa rose gold frame is like a favorite they, that comes in blackout in black gold. And best of all, my biggest hang up with sunglasses, Shady Rays offers the most insane product protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. So if you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they'll send you a brand new one. No questions asked. It's, I don't know, I think it's pretty crazy. All the protection program details can be found at shadyrays.com. And if you don't love your pair, you can exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the season. Head to shadyrays.com slash tangle free with code be there in five for 30% off their best selling tangle free aviators and much more. Save before they sell out and try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. As I've been editing this, I've been packing because I'm going to the beach next week and ultimately going to a wedding. And in my luggage, I only packed four pairs of shoes and they are all you guessed at Mark Fisher. If in case you're wondering, I'm sporting the Marion flat side slide sandal in black. The Monty ankle wrap flat sandal in gold, the Kamiko flat sandal in like this camel brown color, and the Alita flat sandal in a lilac. I like to tell you specifically because I'm not blowing smoke here. Wear these things all the time. And Mark Fisher is one of my favorite advertisers to work with because I don't know what the cool things we're doing these days are. It's hard to keep up. I'm not good with trends. I want things that look on trend, but that aren't going to become stale or dated. And nobody does this better than Mark Fisher, where you have like casual luxe redefined and they're designed to be styled and worn with individuality, but also like functional enough where you can wear them on repeat. And I just appreciate that, like through having a more formal flat sandal, a strappier one, a thicker, puffier, trendier one, they they the cutest platforms and heeled sandals and all sorts of summer shoes. But it's kind of nice that I don't have to buy every shoe under the sun and I can just have staples based on like level of formality and heel and know I'm on trend and cute. And ooh, a lot of these are on sale now that I'm looking. And the Mark Fisher LTS Spring 2023 collection just continues to be the resource for shoes that will boost every style quotient. You can really wear them on heavy rotation and season to season. And if you're just like wondering what shoes are we wearing these days, what's cute, I would just go to their website because that's how I know and that's what I 
I've been doing for years now. If you want to build your spring wardrobe from the ground up, shop the new spring collection and receive 20% off your purchase with code BETHEREIN5 at markfisherfootwear.com. That's M-A-R-C-F-I-S-H-E-R footwear.com, code BETHEREIN5. I went to school in D.C. And like uh, I went to a, a Catholic women's school that didn't have sororities, but there was this rumor all the time while I was there that the girls at University of Maryland that were in sororities were being uh, forced to do hellacious things. And I don't even know if it was true, but it was at least the rumor like they had to stand on a pedestal with a bikini on and someone would circle their fat. Do you think that really happens? And if it did happen, then what does it happen now? Yeah, I mean, remember that book Pledged? I mean, I think, oh, by that- the way. Pledged was written by was written by my friend's high school classmate. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that that but that book was a cultural reset. I feel like I actually think that a lot of I mean even in the documentary they they highlighted words of um from articles about the machine and the like the heinous racist acts they committed against like student council candidates in the nineties. There were lawsuits involved, like. These organizations had have had historically very cruel behavior. I do think when there was low accountability and visibility and we weren't sharing stuff and it was easier to keep secrets, I'm sure a lot of it was really troubling. Yeah. Um, and I think that like by the time I was in one in 2006, uh, like there were really strict hazing rules, for example, like even uh. the two years prior, you could drink with pledges, but we barely got to party at all because our nationals chapter you know, really kind of put the hammer on. Uh, no, that would have been a not, that would have been an issue for me because I'm Irish. Um, <laughs> you're not allowed to drink if you're in a sorority. Yeah, that's kind of a weird double standard where like even we had university housing for sororities and frats and frats were allowed to drink and sororities were not like you'd get kicked out of the house, you, even if you were 21 and your pledge process, you couldn't be associated with alcohol whatsoever. And it was confusing because you go into it, accepting it, expecting it to predominantly be social. But that's what's so funny about these organizations. They hard sell you on philanthropy, on friendship, on community involvement. But what you're really doing is going to a lot of mixers with frats. Yeah. But you You just can't drink at your house. You can. Oh, but you can drink. drink at the frat house. Yes. But you can't post any photos of it. Like when I was in one that was the heyday of the Facebook album, you know, and uh, there were people in standards and they go through every single photo you posted and type like a code word or an X and you had to take down. You couldn't even stand next to a beer can. Like they didn't go into a lot of arbitrary rules. Like most chapters, if you you'd get sent to standards or kicked out for like dancing on an elevated surface. Uh, in general, if you were wearing letters, like you get in so much trouble being seen drinking. Some places have rules where if you're going to drink a beer, you have to drink out of a bottle, <laughs> not a can. What? Um, you can't be seen smoking. So a lot of the rules are about optics and looking classy as a member of the sorority. Um, so it's not actually, in my mm. experience, it didn't feel like we want to keep you safe. Don't drink. It was like, we want to keep you from being sloppy. So just be kind of under the radar. Okay, but now times have changed because like we used to drink, but now these kids just do other stuff. They're doing like what ketamine and like other wild stuff. Are they going to get in trouble for that? I actually don't know. I think college drinking culture is still alive and well. If Alex Earl has taught me anything on TikTok, University of Miami. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting about fraternities versus sororities is that the frats can kind of really lean into 
the party and socializing element in a more overt way. And the sororities, even though they're participating in those circles, they'd sell themselves as being very angelic philanthropy based and about the sisterhood only. And it's just kind of a funny yeah, mm, double it's, standard. It's a double standard. So like be a classy lady. It's a very 1800s. Like, you know, we're looking for potential wives. So act like it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And do you feel like as an adult, you you come up, upon a social group or maybe at work, you're like, that was the narc at their sorority house. Like that's the personality. There's somebody who's like, you're always putting the party out. You're always throwing the water on the fire. You're the buzzkill does that seem to to match up like the narc at the sorority is now you know working in and you know as an accountant or something yeah i think there are definitely pipelines like <laughs> it's kind of like big it's big yearbook editor energy uh, right being yes. the person kind of in charge of the organizing and the procedural element of representing something that's otherwise fun and social yeah arguably some of these people might have ended up being the type that DM, you know, do your research about vaccines. Like who knows where they ended up? Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, and some of the characters that they they featured, uh, were you worried about them? Because I wasn't the one I was worried about was Shelby. I felt like she, Shelby Rose, her expectations were so high. She was so uh, like revered on social media. You know, strangers were like, she's got to get a number one house. I was too worried she was going to be let down. Where do we think she is today? I don't know. I will probably stalk her later, but where she do, is in Find You and she's thriving. Okay. She is like, I think she's a, a substantial following on TikTok. She actually was one of the people that went semi viral during Rush, which a lot of people try and many yeah. fail. I think that. She actually is a person who totally wanted to play the game, follow the formula. And that's why she dipped out the second she realized this could Good compromise. Because yeah. I think that um, it, to your point, I mean, her going through her trophies and her certificates and her pageant stuff, even like she had a thing framed on her wall that she was like the super sharer in fifth grade. And yeah. my heart goes out to people, to the straight A gals, the the people mm -hmm. that are so dependent on third-party institutional metrics for personal validation. Agreed. That they just, it's lily pad to lily pad of mm -hmm. place that can validate them. And when they don't meet those metrics, what do they have? And I yeah. was worried about her not getting into where she wanted to, because if you build your entire self-worth in external metrics, like grades and awards and pageants, mm -hmm. I think you turn out like Raquel. <laughs> Which, as we all know, is a disaster. An elder right. pageant contestant is not is walking the fine line of crazy town. Um, also, she spoke about how she was adopted and she deals with issues of rejection. Another reason I was worried about her. Mm -hmm. I have to say, like I have so I have five kids and four of them are girls. I felt and they range from fourteen to four. I walked away feeling like. I just think these girls need like an older woman in their life who just they, that they can, you know, come to and say, is this shit bananas? <laughs> I mean, you just need some one woman in your life that can is just your anchor that you can just go to and go like they're your respite. That's what I, I'm like. I just want to be their older sister friend. I was pretty concerned about was it Isabella or Isabella? Isabel. Mm -hmm. Um. I thought life looked pretty cushy in Rancho Cucamonga, if I'm honest. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I 
But then she started saying she was struggling with a lot of anxiety issues. And I just worried, is this going to exacerbate that? But she did seem to get some wind in her sails. And I wondered if the process of being on camera, doing all these interviews, uh, becoming more introspective actually helped her kind of combat that a a bit. Yeah, she was an interesting... um, She was one where... I think she'd been traumatized by being bullied by girls. And she was the one that was most seeking like identity and belonging through this sorority by moving across the country as a teenager who's so vulnerable in a place she's never lived with. No, I mean, yeah, take some bravery to even do that. But I just kind of was, we talked about this on your show, but I was kind of marveling at the level of self surveillance um, Mm -hmm. involved because it's kind of like, the way I look back on my life, I had a lot of these intense feelings, but they're kind of obsessing over not being fully formed people at the age where you're still creating yourself. So if you don't know who you are at 18, you don't need to pathologize that as being a problem. That's like yeah. normal. Well, and so, yeah, no one knows young women thought something was yeah. so deeply wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And that I, I just hope somebody is telling them like, you should, you should not have it all figured out right now. No, that's like and, the kid the kid that starts at college freshman semester is like, I know what I'm going to do with it for a living. Like, well, we all do like pipe down. You have no idea what you're talking about. Right. I, I mean, I think a lot of millennial girls, we all thought we were going to be like magazine journalists like Andy Anderson, <laughs> you know, yes. like all the, all the jobs I wanted, the things I thought I'd do. Um, but yeah, I think some of the characters, I appreciated their backstories, but like, I don't know. I did enjoy getting to know them, but I think the unfortunate reality is it didn't really produce the point of the documentary because three dropped out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, two dropped out. One just dropped out of the dock and went through with it and joined Phi Mu. And then um, Isabel joined AD Pi or whatever. And my question with her too is like, okay, if this is so, if this was such a uh, like red flag that no that no one wanted to be associated with at Bama because the sororities were on such high alert for it. And you went through with the doc. How did you break it to AD Pi that you were a part of it and that you mm-hmm. were still going to be a part of it? And how are they not mad and didn't boot you if it was that big of a deal? Like, how is she the only contestant that didn't seem to be affected by this universal disdain for this documentary? Maybe she got rid of those highlights and they didn't really recognize her because they all look so similar. <laughs> Other thing, I have a question for you because you watched all those videos and kind of had your finger on the pulse. Um, in the videos, like outfit of the day, it seems like there is, and this is not really covered in the doc, which I found astounding that they didn't cover is the classism issue. So it seems like the ones that get into the big house were like, um, this is Alice and Olivia. I'm wearing Cartier and Tiffany. I'm like, you have no business wearing that when you're 18, 19 years old. Is that a requirement to get yourself into one of these houses that you have to have an enormous amount of money to afford the clothing to be able to present yourself at, you know, the, the you know, all of these rush related events? I think depending on the chapter, they're going to value different forms of social capital. And I think for some people, the brands that they wear cue them into their financial status. But I do think that for I, I, there are some wealthier sororities. I don't think that would make you like eliminated, but mm. I, what I think happens is if you followed like Kylan last year, I think for the sororities that are more, uh, perhaps like that are maybe old row, old money, wealthier, that 
a lot of these young girls that I think who don't know enough about designer goods to know that these things look fake buy a ton of like counterfeit designer stuff like DHgate, oh, Alibaba yeah. vibes. And Kylan, kind of the star <laughs> of last year's Rush Talk, like she had Chanel bed sheets. Chanel does not make well, twin XL. No, they don't. My niece, when I moved her into college, because of course I did that because I have to show up because I'm a loser. I only live about an hour away from her school. My sister's like, thank God for you. So I moved her in and I'm walking through these rooms and I'm like, Dior does not make a headboard. Right. <laughs> right. They don't make it. It is fascinating. And they're all wearing these bags. And to your point, I was like, what's up, counterfeit city? But then it made me sad. I was like, do you have to buy all this to fit in? I'm sure it's the same for decades and decades and decades. You have to have the Corvette or whatever it is at the time. But how how deep is classism in, in this system? Yeah, I mean, I think wealth, especially like, you know, generational wealth would get you pretty far, especially if you're a legacy, yeah. especially if your parents went there or were in those chapters. Um, and it's and I think it it exudes when somebody is like materially more wealthy and how they present than other people there. There's like a sadness and an earnestness, I think, to doing things like the Dior headboard, because I think we all did that in some way, shape or form. It's mm-hmm. like you you want to conform to whatever it is you can to move through the world more easily. So if I can be wearing and for me, it was like more mid range, basic stuff like Hunter boots or like a coach right. purse yeah. in, in that that tells you before you meet me that I'm socially acceptable. And so I think people do that with brands and their appearance and beauty standards and whatever. Well, let me give you like a quick quiz. I'm going to pretend I'm a potential uh, candidate, a potential new member. I'm going to give you different things that uh, potentially are about me. And you tell me yes or no, if that person would be able to get in. Okay. Ready? (laughs) Oh God. Uh, their hair is like halfway permed, but halfway straight. They haven't fully committed to a hairstyle. Something people might say, because you have to end on a positive, you're going to critique a person. Okay. So if you were to say she, like, again, this is never something that should happen. But if that were to happen and you said like, she, you know, was a little bit like messy or unkempt or whatever rude thing you would say, you have to end on a positive and say, but she came to our party, but she seems oh, like a really right. nice girl. So- we absolutely could not uh, say it was for anything like appearance based. It would just be coded, like I was saying on your show mm-hmm. about like group incompatibility or something like that. Yeah. So there would never be anything like on the record of people, at least not in my experience, to being denied for superficial you. stuff. Right. It's like my mom said that whenever uh, she would see an ugly baby, she would just go, now that's a baby. So you're not really, you're, you're kind of saying it. Okay. What if somebody name drops too much? They like roll up and they're they're like, well, you know, my cousin Justin Bieber has got this boat that I went on. Is that or or, or was is the sorority like you're out? You're annoying. I feel like that would depend on the person because if you're me, I'd be like, really? Uh, you know, I'm <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I'm I'm a you're you like, know, can he show up for boat a climber? Um, Christmas formal. I think if you were name dropping like you know, frats, people, you knew in sororities like this, that, and the other, it would be like, you were trying too hard. Try, try hard. Okay. Yeah. What do you put on the notes? Maybe that, uh, like NGB nice girl, but <laughs> they there's like the yeah. acronyms and like, but try, like try too hard or like not, it's kind of the bachelor not here for the right reasons. Like, are you here to social climb to up your status? Or are you here to, for philanthropy and sisterhood, which even if you're not, that's what they want you to say. 
Okay. Now here's a reverse question. Will a sorority be angered if the ones that they really want in the house, they drag through the mud and they're like, okay, fine. She made through the hazing process. Like she's in it. I, we love her. And then you find out she's going to another house. Do you want to sabotage her the rest of her life? <laughs> uh, you call them rush crushes. And that happens all the time <laughs> where you meet somebody during rush. You They do a really good job convincing you that they're going to join your chapter. And you think you've basically like closed the sale and you find out they didn't pref you or they got mm-hmm. to another chapter. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you see them around campus. They're dead to you. <laughs> you're, you're an asshole. I was eye level sitting on a throw pillow telling you, you might be my future bridesmaid. But then I see oh, you at the God. dining hall and that I act happened? like you don't exist. It's, it's like, well, like it's a funny thing where you have to sell them so hard. But then if they don't pick you, it just goes to show how fake the whole thing is. It's like reverse rejection. Yeah. Heather McDonald told me that basically when you're meeting with girls, you're turning to the other sorority sisters and you're talking about, you're like, would you set them up with your best friend's uh, best friend or your boyfriend's best friend? Is that the criteria that you guys would use too? Every sorority has different criteria that's like super locked down and secretive. Um, <clears throat> ours were things like grouping and compatibility or grades or like they were, ours were more concrete, but I think that, um, there, uh, people wrote into my show and there, an example of that would be one chapter does like, would you, which I think this is weird. Would you share a toothbrush with her? <laughs> oh God. What? Isn't that so odd? That's just, and I don't disgusting. know if that's speaking to hygiene or what a better question might be like, would you set her up or with, or would you go on. I don't know. I always think like what I want to be stuck in an airport with this person. Yeah. But that's like normal. That's like normal people. What if someone has great grades, terrible breath? Oh, you know, we could do a Ted Lasso, you know, the Christmas episode (laughs) with Phoebe. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like um, that's one thing that I feel like even the Ro Kaiser Ro Gammas, you're kind of prepped to know, like, you need to have a certain outfit on, look pretty polished. You can't chew gum, but breath mints are a plenty. Mm, okay. uh, you're talking so much that it's dry mouth city, like Michaela said, and you're pretty aware of it. So mm. I haven't had that experience. They gave him a, a five five B's. It was like, don't basically talk about boys, booze, politics, whatever else. When I kind of laughed about? and she was like Biden, but that just not that just means politics in general. And I'm like, no, probably down there. You can't talk. Favorably <laughs> yeah, about Biden. They're probably like, don't even talk about Biden <laughs> at all. Um, like, what do you talk about? What's your favorite soft drink? Literally bumping is the most comedic. It's called bumping the what you do when you, like you're five girls in a bump group. You're assigned to one person going through recruitment. And you're numbered. So number one talks to the person you're recruiting. Two minutes later, number two bumps, number one, number one leaves. Oh. And so on. So, so five story sisters will talk to one girl over like a 10 to 15 minute period. Mm-hmm. So you have to, we are like educated on how to have conversations with segues. Like if I'm bumping Sarah and Sarah's talking about liking to ride horses, I need to find something to talk about naturally to that topic so Sarah can leave and I can have my one-on-one time. So some good sales experience. This is actually very, very much setting them up for sales jobs. Honestly, it was Mm -hmm. really helpful uh, in the art of small talk and conversation and making people, because what you're doing too on the side of recruitment, like as a sorority sister, you want them to feel comfortable. If you want them, 
it's like they're selling you, but also most of the time, like you're meeting what they would call like rock stars and you want them to want to be a KD or KKG. So you have to be a good conversationalist too and wow them. Um, But usually it's like really wholesome stuff, like community service that really wouldn't be a normal conversation, like party talk. I have to say that watching this and talking to you, I feel like I would thrive with the exception I, I, I would want to drink. That's where you're at college. That would be a big problem for me. Also, um, I think my strong suit was, is that I would get the fraternities to want to hang out with us because I would just be funny and like they'd want to hang out. But I wouldn't want to hear everybody's relationship problems. That's I'm, pro- I'm probably out of the sorority, right? Well, one of the things a lot of sororities do is when you get a bid and you go to like your first pledge retreat, it's kind of like a classic culty or MLME or religious type thing people do where they kind of actively promote trauma bonding. And you sit in a giant circle and like reveal your deepest, darkest secrets to people you do not know. And I think about that night constantly where people were like crying, sharing all this crazy shit. And under the guise of like sisterhood that's made up because you literally just met these people. Yeah, yeah, no, that's how this is. So you would have had to hear like nights and nights of feelings on feelings on feelings on trauma. That's a lot. That's a lot. I didn't want to reveal too much about myself. So I chose to say I have trouble falling asleep at night. And I don't think the sisters thought that was that juicy would, enough. No, that would have been <laughs> bullshit. I would have talked so much shit about you. I've been like that. Oh, yeah. was lame. Since I'm entering my mom era, I've wanted to collaborate with companies that have interesting um, products for kids. And, you know, I was never a woman in STEM. As I like to say, I was a woman who wanted to have nice STEMs. And I heard about the company KiwiCo and was immediately interested because I gather it can be quite hard to find creative ways to keep your kids busy, challenged. I personally, as an adult iPad kid, am a bit worried about my kid on their screens. And KiwiCo does the legwork for you so you can spend quality time tackling projects together. It, it's a subscription box for your kids that offers multiple lines of fun and enriching projects that are designed to spark creativity, innovation, and learning. And what's cool is they have developmentally appropriate projects for every child and interest level from newborns to teens. They've developed over 2,000 projects in STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, which I love the adding of the A to that because it would have made me more interested. And you can select a crate or take a quiz to find the perfect match, pick a delivery plan, et cetera. So like for me, for example, I got the newborn crate and it comes with all these little like cute things and activities for the baby and explains it. Like there's a set of uh, black and white cards and it explains that newborns are drawn to high contrast images because their eyes are tuned to notice this, the edges of an object against a background. Bold patterns with lots of edges provide plenty of visual input. And it says like what you can do with these cards to aid in their visual development. There's also like a tummy time mirror and it kind of walks you through how you can help, uh, you know, a young baby like explore their world by touching different things and looking at different parts, looking in the mirror, folding it into triangles to encourage the kid to push their head up, so on and so forth. But that's just for newborns. They have zero to five, five to nine, nine to 12, and 12 to 16 plus. I am very interested in getting my nephews involved with the uh, geography and culture crate or perhaps the uh, science and art crate where you get to make your own pinball machine. I think that looks really cool. Anyway, love this for young explorers. They've been creating family experiences for the last 10 years with over 40 million crates delivered and over 20,000 five-star reviews. So redefine play with KiwiCo. Right now, get 50% off your first month. Crates start at just $14 per month, plus free shipping on any crate at kiwico.com. Promo code be there in five. 50% off your first month, plus free shipping at kiwico.com. Promo code be there in five. 
KiwiCo.com, promo code be there in five. It was weird when they were like, just casually were, were like, yeah, I've been roofied three times. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh my God. We go back to that? Like what? And then the woman's like, just moves on. Like we need to back up we, because this is a cautionary tale, right? Young girls are going to watch this. They're going to know a little bit about the sorority life, but we can't just move past. She's been roofied three times and it's like, it's no big deal. That is a huge deal. A huge deal. And the whiplash of her saying that to going back to Illinois for Shelby's pageant walk mm-hmm. on the street. I, I was like, what? This yeah. is when I was reading about the director and what she wanted to explore at the doc. She mentioned like college campus sexual assault is one of the things, which is a huge fucking issue at schools like this. Yeah. And but there was it's not there was absolutely yeah no exploration that would have been helpful to people watching it but i guess that wasn't the goal this is k from the beyond i was reading an interview with the director because i was like i don't want i feel like i'm being unfair in variety and it says you follow several women in the documentary one of them is drugged and another is sexually assault assaulted it's horrifically depressing how common it feels and to see what young women have to go through in society to the point where it's almost normalized were you surprised some of their reactions to being roofied and the director says i was taken aback by that particular moment that you're describing with holiday i remember we had cut that before she said what she ends up saying we went back into the film and at some point i said can i see that full clip because i had that memory of it feeling so cavalier like it was like yes it's here if we let this play out we get to make a more heavy statement which is like yes this happens all the time it has become almost acceptable behavior it's not in the film but the young women did tell me that when they go out they're constantly looking at their drinks they're constantly keeping their eyes out on their drinks and their friends drinks so it's part of the practice other sorority women told me they feel safer being in the sorority because it's safety in numbers so on and so forth. So anyways, I just thought that was an interesting tidbit because this is where I'm maybe not artful enough. And maybe the point of moving past that and not exploring it was to comment on how normalized it is. It's said in passing in that way. I don't know. But still, I think that's something that would have been worth elaborating. Anyway, back to the interview. On a micro level, and this is a lousy explanation, but or 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 an analogy, but I just don't know what else to say. It's almost like someone invites like five friends over, and she makes, you know, Polynesian food, Italian, Chinese, and Greek. You, you can't do all of it. You got to pick a theme. She picked too much. She there there were too many things, and she couldn't land the plane. Couldn't land the plane, and it 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 overhyped. Hold on. I'll let you go in a second. I have to get my iPhone. Um, I, yeah, I think my biggest takeaways were we tried to cover too much ground where we could, we, we could taste everything, but digest nothing. Yes. And uh, we also, uh, there was a disconnect from our expectations and even inside, it would be one thing if I, if I had my expectations for what I thought the doc was going to be based on the rumors, but it's a whole other thing to open your doc, overhyping it inside of it by starting with a TikTok, like a TikToker quoting, like, this documentary will be the end of Greek life as we know it. I couldn't agree with you more. And then it had nothing. <laughs> it Oversold. wasn't an expose whatsoever. Mm-mm. And we're, But I do feel badly if if that was never her intention. Mm-hmm. I feel badly that the Internet completely mismanaged our collective expectations and wanted mm-hmm. the juice. Um. But yeah, I think that like, if even if you didn't go into the machine and the racism and exposing more of the inside arbitrary process, you could have at least like leaned into a little bit of the comedy. 
Also the, the, the fun stuff. Like I didn't get yeah. to see any of that. I want, you know, I have lots of friends that are in sororities and like, Oh my God, we had the most epic parties. This was so much fun. I keep it to like, I didn't get to see any of that. It was sort of like a Debbie downer. I can understand why people who were in sororities might walk away and go, well, that blows. Like yeah, not yes and no. I kind of walked away feeling sad for the youths. I, I, I mm. didn't feel any one way. It didn't because it, it didn't have a point of view. I still am struggling to figure out what the what I should have walked <laughs> away she's, with. And then she's swimming in the end, and I was like, "Why are you on screen? Like you're not a, a, a college kid." Yeah. Do you what did she say when the first time she shows up on screen? She's like, "I realized what my angle is," or I re- like. It's almost like she, you know, I guess documentaries, you go into it, not always knowing the story you're going to tell, but I guess maybe her never make it about yourself. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. And I guess what happened is she was like, oh, I was thinking I was the outsider telling a story from the outside, but we all have experienced this on a level where we're all rushing something. We're all trying to belong to something, which is true but i just don't think it was a strong enough through line you know what it's like when you're listening to a podcast interview and it's like this really cerebral interview and then if all of a sudden the host was like you know this reminds me of when i was 13 i was at the roller skating rink and you'd be like wait 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 no 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 we're off course like this isn't about you i came to listen to this episode because i want to hear xyz and i don't care about you roller skating in the third you know when you're 13 it felt a little bit like that right and i think that maybe she it's like perhaps she really grew an attachment to these people or I don't know but it's funny because all the people on TikTok and like Twitter and stuff are feel the way we feel but of every press outlet is really applauding it for the kind of emotional exploration but but two things can be true are it can paid? have done that well <laughs> but I just don't think that's what people were after no and you I just don't think be, the narrators were strong circling back to these girls in three years that's yes. that, that would be interesting like how did this affect your greek life how did this affect your college life like what did you think of looking at yourself as a pre-frosh you know do you see yourself as a completely different person now shelby rose i gotta i gotta follow up with her i gotta know what's going on she's gonna be president i guarantee you if i'm yeah, yeah. she's because she, she said she wanted to be so she will be she she has that energy I look today, I always like to screenshot where people are followers wise when a dot comes out, like Ronald from jury duty. When I first looked at his Insta, it was 1600. And now we're like six figures and beyond. It just goes to show how fruitful yeah. this can be if you want an influencer career. And then mm-hmm. Isabel was like at 3300 on TikTok today, but she was very much TikToking about the show and advertising it. So I'm interested to see if this moves the well, needle for her. Interesting. Because yeah. if it moved the needle in the way that actually going viral could have from doing TikTok itself, not doing the documentary, it was worth her time. Um, yeah. But I, I think and uh, one of my last thoughts was like, it kind of shows how some things actually work better on short form content driven mediums because you're following more. the people mm-hmm. going through it, the incentives there, they're controlling their narrative. We're actually seeing what it's like, hearing firsthand accounts, blah, blah, blah. There was zero incentive for anybody to be involved with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they weren't going to get on the inside and they were going to get ousted from the process. Why would somebody have chosen this documentary over pursuing their own fame on their own platform? Mm-hmm. I would like to also um, develop is people can c- contact me if they're interested. I would be interested in making a 
re, not a reality show. I would like to do a docu follow with a group of sorority sisters that have been out of the sorority for five years. If you live in the same general area and you're all close friends, contact me. I would like to pitch that as a show. The show will be called Life After College until I come come up with a better name. But please contact me if you have a group of friends. I'm very much interested in that. I'm interested in, in like the especially places like Bama. Yeah, where like you said, you don't. It's pretty insular. Yeah. Like I would want to know, like, can you trace back how this organizational affiliation actually meaningfully yeah. worked in your life? Well, I, as I said on my show, and I really say this all the time, and it's true, the best unscripted television to me, and that is under the umbrella unscripted, which is a reality show documentary docuseries, allows me and you to be witness to someone else's world. We're getting a peek into their world. And that's the barometer. So I'm going to say this was a failure for me because I did not get a peek into sorority life. What do you think? I don't think it was a waste of time. I just think it was disconnected from my expectations. So it wasn't a bad story. It just was unfocused. Mm. Um, And I think, but also after watching it, I I had a million things to say. Like there are so many pockets of this that are interesting. And I hope other people do explore it. I hope it is a fire fest sitch where maybe Netflix has one. I think that there are endless angles and maybe this will inspire people to dig a little deeper or go to a school where they actually might let you in on the process. That would be um, awesome. And also, it was fun if to there's talk a to you school about it. that wants to make this show about their own sorority, I'll, I'll make that too. Yeah. Content. Well, I'd actually like to do a fraternity. You? I feel like I, I could do a fraternity one too. I feel like that is a death wish. <laughs> I'm telling you, Sigma Chi, Loyola Marymount. I'm their girl. I mean, they are <laughs> hilarious. This They had this one guy during Rush that had to carry a bike everywhere for like three weeks. Everywhere he went. He'd get in trouble if he wasn't carrying the bike. Not riding right, it. That's hazing. I loved it. I was like, you guys, it's the greatest <laughs> stories ever in my life. I was like, tell me everything. Don't leave a detail out. I know. See, that those are the things that now, those are the stories people are going to tell once they go through therapy about being traumatized and publicly humiliated. But at the time, you it think? was just shits and giggles oh, that's a that's a I mean, maybe not the dudes i don't know but also i'm so i have no, i have not i don't have guys girl energy so i was never like a fraternity sweetheart so i maybe i just never got in on the convos yeah well were I'm you a sigma chi sweetheart i was never no i didn't go to i went to all women's school oh no. duh right but catholic university was across the street so i was kind of they didn't have sororities there but i like i don't know i'm i'm the i'm a guy's girl like i can i can roll I can I, listen. I went to an all women's school. I have four daughters. I can hang out with girls too. You can but, hang with either, dude. I can speak, dude. You know what I mean? Like I can yeah. talk about sports docu series. I can give them a lot of shit. They don't care. You know, I, I can roll with it. So I think there is a show here about fraternities, and I want to know how the fraternity system exists in their lives beyond college. That would be interesting yeah. to me. I guess the only last question I have that we didn't cover is the important one we covered in this doc, which is. Um, Kate, if you were a fruit, what kind would you be? I thought about that. <laughs> I did too. I was like, as stupid as that question is, I don't know. I don't know. I was like, I don't probably like a, like a starfish where like I'm a little eccentric, but I taste great and I'm a good time mm. at a party. You know what I mean? Totally. I think there's a way to answer all these dumb questions and just to finesse them. But I think people overthink them. I was like, maybe I need to be one of these coaches. Right. It was that sort of question that irritates me because 
people you gauge your personality off of an off the cuff answer that like means absolutely nothing. Nothing. Why don't they do questions like what what is the what are the two books that you buy for other people? Right. Like that says a lot. Like your two favorite books totally tell. And as soon as somebody tells me the two favorite books, I'm like, I, I know so much about you because of that. You, there are point. things you could ask. This is why you would be great at recruitment, Kate. I, I, to the I, bottom I, I would it. kill it. I would kill it. <laughs> I also kind of admired the fraternity grandma, the one that who did the video. And she was like, you don't fuck with the University of Alabama. I was like, I kind of am enjoying that job. I don't want it, but I enjoy it. Like I would like to like party with that cowgirl. I know she was random. I'm like, who is this? And she just, <laughs> she never came back. Yeah, that was a little random, but I, but I appreciate it. Would it would be juicier there... if people would fuck with University of Alabama. I think the problem is, yeah. that, like, I think that this panel and it came down on them. Maybe Bama threatened them. Maybe there was something with the machine there. There, there had to be a deeper reason why they couldn't get HBO, I think, would have wanted to make a juicier doc and they could have, but for yeah. some reason they did not. Someone, who has an enormous amount of power was in the Greek system. Yeah. And they called the head of HBO max and they were like, don't fuck with the Greek system. I don't know. Maybe. I think the maybe they had their might car been, slashed. Like the tire could, slashed. I think the irony watching it was like, I feel like this softballing is like symptomatic of how powerful the machine is. Oh, maybe you're right. It should have been called the machine because the machine yeah. killed it in the end. Cause at first you're like, there is a machine like, come on the machine you know, we need to circle back with is Alex Smith, the girl who wrote the article in the I Crimson know. Tide. We should find her. What a brave soul that Alex Smith. I know. Where, where is she now? She's probably killing, killing it in life. I have a lot of people to stalk tonight. I know. Um, Kate, where can people find you and your podcast and our episode if you listen to this one first? So they can find my podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts, Reality Life with Kate Casey. I have a must watch list I put out every Monday. It's at katecasey.substack.com. And I will give you a list of what to watch each week in unscripted TV, which is super helpful because I'll give you shit that is not going to pop up on your screen. Um, uh, you know, Facebook group, Reality Life with Kate Casey, Instagram at Kate Casey CA, TikTok, it's Kate Casey and Twitter. Uh, it's Kate Casey. And is there anything? No, it's just Kate Casey. Sorry. Oh, what do you? Oh, yes. This should be on our um, radar. Okay. Did you watch Queen Maker on Hulu yet? Not yet. Okay. That's about the New York socialites. I do think that you're going to be bored halfway through, but just stay for the first half. I think you would enjoy that. Just to have the the background on the New York socialites in the from 2000 to 2010. Um, what else is on my list? Oh, what do you think of Randall? I thought it was horrible. So bad. <laughs> And I was glad I never put it on my list. I, and I had a feeling it was going to be bad. Terrible. Um, okay. You want to watch the Duggar Family Secrets. It's called okay. Shiny Happy People, Duggar Family Secrets. That comes out June 2nd. How to Make a Sex Scandal is right up your alley. No, it's not. You don't like negative stuff. Don't watch that. Um, but that's on HBO. Um, what else? Oh, I did enjoy Secrets of Hillsong. That's on I did too. right now. Um, I'm focused on Carl. As it opposed good. to the whole operation. It was good. Um, you're going to want to watch the Vanderpump Rules reunion. You could just, you know, have a little bit of enjoyment of the Teresa wedding on Real Housewives of New Jersey, but don't get your expectations too high because I think he, Louie, meaning her crazy husband, really shows the crazy in the reunion. And that's not for another two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Good to that's, know. That's, that's a lot of stuff. Did you watch Who Killed Robert Wone on Peacock? No. That's really good. But again, you always tell me you don't like murder. 
<laughs> but that's a good I, one. That's a, that one. You're like, wait, sometimes. how did this happen? I think you might be okay with that one. I like things that are genuinely interesting and not like voyeuristic <gasps> crime. Oh, we know you'd already watched it. Jury duty. Jury duty was such an excellent social experiment. Did you cry your face off? I just, I mean, the bug's life scene was just so profound to me. <laughs> it was so good. I cried. I thought that was really good too. Did you review it on your podcast? I had the director on. Yeah. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. You get yeah. some heavy hitters. <laughs> I know. I just had the executive producer of Vanderpump Rules too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the director of How to Make a Sex Scandal that you're not going to watch, but that's a little, that's a crazy one. Did you consider getting the director of Bama Rush? I tried to, but now I'm glad I didn't. Because what would I have asked her? I know. I well, know. she's ta- she's talented, and her Selma Blair one was so well received. Like, yeah, I just don't know if she, yeah, if this was the right topic. But I'm glad she connected mm-hmm. to it. Um, Did you watch the Menudo one? No. Okay, like the Do- band. Okay, Menudo the band. Yeah. So I figured out this connection between Menudo and the Menendez brothers because the Menendez brothers famously said that their father molested them in trial, and no right, one believed right. them. So Jose Menendez, their father, was the, the RCA executive for Menudo. And the Menudo doc that came out on HBO, a lot of the former members, including one that I interviewed by the name of Ash Ruiz, said that their manager, Edgardo Diaz, assaulted them. And that there was he encircled himself with a group of men that also assaulted them. And one of those men was Jose Menendez. So now there's a question. Mark Garagos is representing the Menendez brothers. Does this give them a shot at another trial? Because all there's this all this evidence coming out that was not allowed in the first trial or the second trial about their father molesting them. Wow. Yeah. So that's so watch the Menudo one on HBO. I prefer that more. On HBO. Yeah. Yeah. So but there's called, always multiples. Menudo. I know. I hate that, too, because I'm like, I already I feel like on my show, I'm like, I know you guys already covered that. But yeah. I, I think, think you're gonna you're gonna like the Blue Hill one. song was better than the Discovery Plus. Couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more. Kate, you're the absolute best. Thank, Thank you, you for doing I'm a joint episode. This was delightful, and uh, hopefully we'll chat again sometime when our interests overlap with the doc. You bet. Thank you. Anyway, you guys, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Didn't want to keep you as long as usual, <laughs> um, because we were talking about just the doc. But uh, go listen to Kate Casey's Reality Life with Kate Casey. Follow up with some of the things she suggested to watch. I know I will. Um, I don't know why, but I put out like a disproportionate amount of content this week because the Kate Lila last, the uh, answering listener voicemails episode from last week was really fun. And there were more questions. So I answered more of them on Patreon and it ended up going into very elaborate BSB versus NSYNC snorkel, among other things. Also me telling you about, you know, my brave decision to attend my uh, family finance meeting, which means just my husband being like, hey, can we talk about a budget and me declining the meeting for weeks on end? (laughs) And among other things, Patreons where I have bonus content and more like personal content. Um, So I recorded that on Monday and then I had to update my thoughts on Taylor Swift after she announced the like up till dawn version of Midnight's like the 10th, (laughs) the uh, 10th version of a vinyl the release of a song called You're Losing Me, and most notably, a collaboration with Ice Spice, which, yeah, if you want to hear more about the confusing um, collision of events that involves Taylor Swift, Maddie Healy, and Ice Spice, talked about it on Patreon on Wednesday, so that was like another 45 minutes, and now here we are. Um, 
So I don't know if this will actually end up being like a more of a bonus episode. I still might put out something on Sunday. I'm not really sure, but I wanted to have it here for those of you that watch the doc and listen, because I know this has been a thing that we've talked about quite a bit on the pod. Um, I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Thank you, as always, for the privilege of your time. And if you're new here and want more sorority content, uh, don't forget to look up the episodes called Potential New Bender from August 2021 and um, Sister of the Traveling Pants Store from August of 2022. But if you go to Spotify to Kate Kennedy, my verified profile, you'll find playlists of similar topic types. Um, And I think we I think there's actually maybe like four or five total episodes about sororities from the past five years, if this is something you're interested in. Anyway, if you could share with a friend, that would mean the world. Rate and review five stars. I don't know. I'm just, I'm grateful you're here. And I hope you have a good weekend. Be safe. Talk soon. As always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Bye.